Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready, so let us begin. Allow me to make my intentions clear. Jedi. We are here to help resolve the situation. For the Senator. For everyone. This week, the story is about a delightful animated anthology series that recently arrived sort of in the shadow of Andor. There are six episodes of Tales of the Jedi. All of them are between 12 and 18 minutes in length. And Ross, you watched these as soon as they came out, which was probably over a month ago now. I didn't get around to it the last couple of days. Are the less intense Star Wars fans missing out by not watching Tales of the Jedi? Absolutely. If you haven't watched Tales of the Jedi, I think you're really missing out. It's going to be a little hard to say that from the perspective of Ahsoka, because my guess is if you've seen Clone Wars, you've, you will have followed up and watched Tales of the Jedi, and thus you'll have all the context with Ahsoka. Uh, the Dooku arc of those three episodes, though, that services the Skywalker saga, I think, even more directly than the Ahsoka stories. Now, Ahsoka as a character services that story extremely well, but this little snippet isn't as instrumental in changing our perception of Ahsoka as it is in changing our perception of Dooku and his impact on the Skywalker saga. Totally. We learn much more about that. And these two play really well together uh, in a few ways that we can kind of kind of talk about consistently throughout. And uh, I'm I'm very pleased that they chose to use Ahsoka and Dooku together for this. So uh, there are six of them. I'd like to talk about each one individually in, in brief. But I did come to today's podcast with a rather insistent cold. Uh, I think I might find podcasting just like a little taxing today. Conveniently, I happened, just because I thought this would uh, be neat, I happened to record a reaction to each individual episode of the show the second it ended. And so I thought we could begin each episode discussion by listening back to my immediate reactions on the episode, and then you could comment on what I had to say. Love it. Okay, so let's let's jump right in. Okay, I just watched the first episode of Tales of the Jedi, Life and Death, and my initial reaction is that this is the most Star Wars has ever felt like a Disney movie to me, in like a really traditional, at the start of the movie kind of sense, and I want to say like, in particular, Renaissance era Disney, Hercules has this, Tarzan is a prime example, but also later these character journeys open with like a sort of prologue where the would-be hero is still a baby or a toddler with loving parents existing in a sort of remote village, has some kind of like tragic or hostile encounter and is either orphaned or separated from those loving parents and forced to fend for themselves. I think like Tarzan's probably the best example where like Sabor the leopard or cheetah or whatever he is brutally kills Tarzan's parents and then he's like left to live with the apes. And this story also features a cheetah kind of except it flips the script and this is where we discover Ahsoka's unprecedented innate communion with wildlife and she sort of tames the beast and has it deliver her back home, where the village elder, who also feels like a very Disneyfied archetype, says Ahsoka is Jedi. And so I don't know if all of the episodes are going to feel 
quite so squeaky clean as this. It didn't feel super original. I thought it was very interesting, but I'm really excited to see some more broadly familiar characters and some more traditional Star Wars milieu in the coming installments of this because once again, didn't feel like super like the galaxy far, far away. We got to see some aliens, which is cool. Uh, and there were some blasters, but there were also like more crude rifles, which was jarring. Anyway, it's all good. I'm really excited for the next one. Am I reaching a little bit with that with that comparison? You know, I've often dreamed of a far off place uh, <laughs> where a hero's welcome would be waiting for me. I'm right there with you. I love that. <laughs> I cannot believe how on the nose that is. And I didn't clue into how insanely Disney it is. It really is. And to be honest, I'm okay with it. But uh, it was it was my least uh, favorite episode. Uh, I, I found it okay and, and not like overly engaging, but very pleasant and, and a nice, uh, believable, fun, um, beautifully animated yes. uh, introduction to the story of Ahsoka. A very peaceful introduction to the story of Ahsoka, a character who deals with a lot of tumultuous events in her life. And I think actually Hercules is, is the more paralleled example. Uh, because especially the parents live and they and it's kind of like a, a, a wave beyond eventually Plo Koon comes uh, to uh, retrieve her on behalf of the Jedi Order uh, and it's I don't remember the specific reason as to how they find out whether like Plo Koon was just going to Shili and goes to the village elder like he comes in like hey I'm checking in any Jedi this year sort of thing like, I, I don't really know exactly how that works or whether it's more Luke Skywalker finding Grogu in the Mandalorian where you're you're drawn to a certain force and it's like jet certain Jedi are able to bring other Jedi in the same way Qui-Gon is drawn to Anakin and is able to bring him in but he finds Anakin at a much older age than when most people are able to find their Jedi so I think it was just it was a really pleasant story uh beautiful to see uh but not a ton that you can take away from it it's what I would have expected to see uh cool parents Mm -hmm. uh, the crude rifles is an interesting thing because there are like cycler rifles that date back to like a new hope. Uh, and those are really basic looking rifles, but True, Star Wars yeah. got really away from those. And it's something that you almost view it as like, oh, well, the Tuscans are, are shot in a very primitive way. And so that makes sense that they use cycler rifles and whatnot. But then you also see like the Jawas who are kind of a similar also like very parallel race when you were first starting off star wars and they've got like ion blasters that are super alien like so it's something that star wars really swept under the rug the well, those kind of crude blasters um but it makes sense for them to still stand out when you've got so much prequel like uh, visuals around it jawas is a really interesting point though because while they do seem quite crude themselves they are in the marketplace um and so like it makes sense for villagers, I suppose, not to have like a gun made by Apple or something, uh, except I can see how the Jawas would get their their grub, grubby paws on them. Yeah, blast tech. Um, and also, that's a really interesting story about Plo Koon. Um, so she's sort of like Ahsoka from nowhere, but it wasn't so hard in those days to connect the Jedi to her people. Yeah, that's so just how all the Jedi are found. Uh, if they're on a core world, it's more likely that the Jedi just patrol and have people there who can report back if they're on kind of the outer reaches. Uh, and my 
Galaxy far, far away geography is not great in terms of uh, planet proximity to one another. So I do not know where Shili is in the galaxy. It's not like an like a total backwater place like Tatooine, um, but uh, it did seem to not be super. Um, I guess was city based or whatever the word I'm looking for there is. It's rural. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, rural. Okay. You want to move on to part two? Cool. Okay, immediate reaction to episode two, Justice. This was awesome. Hey, finally a visual Star Wars piece of content that predates The Phantom Menace. And it, of course, directly refers to The Phantom Menace, it being a young Qui-Gon Jinn story. I, I want to comment, first of all, we've seen these likenesses before because I've seen stills from this particular episode before. They've really done a good job at creating what a younger Qui-Gon and a younger Dooku would look like. I'm pretty sure also Liam Neeson's son is voicing the Qui-Gon character, which is cool for like keeping it in the family reasons, but I don't think he sounds anything like Qui-Gon, so that wasn't perfect for me, although the, the sound alike for Dooku, uh, really well done. Probably the same guy who voiced him in The Clone Wars. Ross, you can tell me later. This was like a really cool story and also it refers to the phantom menace because it's specifically about qui-gon's history as a diplomat like in the phantom menace the series opens on him with his padawan just going through the motions of like everyday peacekeeping interfaces with like oppositional bureaus and he's doing that with dooku here in the brokering of the release of a senator's son they're able to to do that, but then the senator himself arrives kind of impatient with the process, takes matters into his own hands, and then there's a physical standoff between the Jedi and the senators and his army, which is where we see Dooku using early signs of the dark side, and he gets really out of hand, and he does like a force choke. By the way, I also wondered if this is the first case we've ever seen um, a master have a blue lightsaber and his apprentice have a green. That might be meaningless, but it did stand out as like an interesting dichotomy to me. Do we know anything about this senator? Is that like a character we've seen exist before? Overall, really cool. And, and again, like this felt more like Star Wars to me, so rad. I feel like you heard nothing after I said the thing about the lightsaber colors. Like that suddenly became a thing you needed to like dig into your backlogs. <laughs> I did, and actually, it, it, it's interesting that I I dug so far into my backlogs and then realized it's the front page. Uh, the The first Jedi is Luke Skywalker, who has the green lightsaber, and Obi Wan has a blue one. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Uh, that's right. that's that's. A good <laughs> I, point. I, I skipped past it too, though. I was going through the archives of everybody else, but the 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 front. It's not really one what there. I but had in also... mind, though, because he didn't have a green lightsaber when he was trained by Obi Wan. Exactly. They never are yeah. alongside each other with their same lightsabers, right. which does present a really cool visual. And it's also something that aligned with Legends is an interesting balance as those with the green lightsaber were generally considered more well connected with the force, whereas um, a blue lightsaber would be someone who would be a little bit more um, action oriented. That was just generally the way they went about it. And so to have someone who's more action oriented training somebody who's more in tune with the force uh, is kind of an interesting angle. But that's also in like Ahsoka. Ahsoka used green lightsabers and Anakin had a blue lightsaber. Oh, yeah. So there's an example of yeah. them on screen. However, it was also weird because Ahsoka after I think season two, she switches to two lightsabers. So it's also not visually what you see. And you're also there fighting alongside Obi-Wan as well and a bunch of clones. So this is very much a traditional Jedi story yeah you have a jedi and his apprentice going on a mission of diplomacy 
The Jedi puts his lightsaber on the table, not as a sign of intimidation, but as a sign of, I don't want to have to use this. Mm -hmm. However, it's interesting because it's Dooku. So we know that deep down inside, it's a sign of intimidation. And Qui-Gon being the right Jedi, we'd approach, the we'd approach this in the exact same way, but with different intentions. And by the end of the episode, Dooku crosses a line that Qui-Gon brings him back from, mm -hmm. showing that despite not having the right training, Qui-Gon still remains the perfect Jedi. Qui-Gon still does right. And him and Dooku, by working together, are able to balance each other. Similarly, the way Qui-Gon would have balanced Anakin. And how when Dooku and Qui-Gon separate, and Qui-Gon becomes a master in his own right, Dooku no longer has Qui-Gon to ground him. Mm -hmm. And you see later on when he's fighting alongside Mace, it's a competition. It's head-to-head. -head. It's no longer having somebody who he's responsible for that he cares deeply about that grounds him. And that's the same problem that Anakin struggles with when Ahsoka is taken away from him by the Jedi Order and when she leaves on her own accord in that way because the Jedi kind of, well, they treat her like absolute shit. Uh, and so it's a similar sort of kind of loss of the Jedi where they their Padawan is taken away from them and then they fall to the dark side. Right. So it's just another great mirroring of why Dooku is foreshadowing for Anakin's fall. Yeah. And one of the things that I really like about why they have Dooku and Ahsoka is because they're part of the same force dynasty in the sense that Yoda trains Dooku, Dooku trains Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon trains Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan trains Anakin, Anakin trains Ahsoka. Mm. They're part of the same dynasty of force training. And so they all have the ability to kind of be perfect in their own ways. And they're all like, these are some of the, this is the most powerful force lineage in history, like training sequence of force users. Uh, but a lot of them fall to the dark side. Uh, and so to have Ahsoka be somebody who never really falls to the dark side, despite all the hard things, Dooku, who takes the easy path, um, but both on either sides of Anakin, uh, who is, of course, the main character of it all. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. I think this is a great little snippet into Dooku as a character. I love that you brought up the modeling of them uh, between Qui-Gon and uh, Count Dooku. Dooku is a model. It, it's a fine uh, model, uh, like CGI model, but yeah. the Qui-Gon, young Qui-Gon model, amazing. without a doubt, the best animated uh, character design I've ever seen. It's so good. It was flawless in how they, it was so clearly Liam Neeson, at an age we have not seen him in a design we have not seen him but it was so clearly him and he was modern in a way that was really great like in the other episodes they like slightly use newer technology to go back and make uh anakin at the start of the clone wars in the current animation in like i think the, the fifth episode of this and there's a there's a contrast because he's much more detailed than he was at the start of the Clone Wars yeah. when he was designed that exact same way. Whereas Qui-Gon, they never had any of those restrictions. So they don't have to hold back a little bit. Right. They just make him ridiculously Bang accurate. On. Totally. Dooku, they didn't have the same model they had to replicate, but they did have a model of him as an old man. So they knew they had, they had to have some kind of a line there that they were drawing from. And in the, the freedom series, that they had like, to make Qui-Gon beautiful right. was great. And they're aging him into a more familiar Dooku over his three episode arc here. So so that's you get to see that kind of go episode by episode. It's interesting, just mm. going back to what you said before, it's interesting that this show called Tales of the Jedi spotlights mainly two Jedi who left the Jedi Order. 
and with very for very different reasons and with very different conclusions, but they do have something in common, Ahsoka and Dooku. Very much so. And even the other Jedi who are on the periphery of these stories, like Qui-Gon in this one and Gadol in a later one, like these are all Jedi who are like on the edge. Like they, they, they're practicing the right way. Uh, in, in the case of Dooku, it goes wrong. But in the case of the rest of them, they are all very admirable uh, and understand... I guess those are all characters who recognize the the dogma of the Jedi. Yeah. Those are all people who are able to see through it, some able to control their emotions and some not. Right. Uh, but there was another thing that you mentioned that I wanted to to touch on. Corey Burton, who does the voice of Dooku, uh, it's, it's exceptional. He's really apparently cool. done the voice of uh, Christopher Lee for just a ton of things. Oh, Anytime wow. they need to substitute Christopher Lee's voice in for anything, they just get Corey Burton. Solid. That's a cool role to have. What a great gig. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very nice. Like they have that a lot in uh, international film. Yeah. For example, like this is the like the Italian voice for every single The Rock movie, and that guy is just the Italian voice of The Rock, and which he's, is cool. And he's not famous, but he makes a very good living, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, let's do episode three. Okay, episode three is called Choices. Here we have another Dooku episode, uh, and this time he's partnered with Mace Windu, not so much on a diplomatic mission, but they're investigating the murder of a fellow Jedi, and it leads to the death of a senator, which is interesting because like once again, we're dealing in some kind of like violent altercation with a would-be ally who also happens to be a high-standing member of like the Republic government. And there's a great irony too in that like yet again, Dooku loses his temper, maybe forgets his place two episodes in a row here now. And ultimately we know what we know of Dooku is that he joins himself with the corrupt Republic, which becomes the Empire. He has doubts that that's going on before the rest of the Jedi and Mace Windu kind of absconds him for doing so. And in the end, he doesn't come out of the deal any richer, but Windu gets the council seat of that Jedi who was killed. So it's all very interesting. I don't have like a lot of like deep observations about this one. I did think that it was visually stunning, uh, more so than the other two. We also got to see some really cool earlier models of battle droids. Uh, yeah, I'm very tired when I've watched this one, but I, I really, I definitely enjoyed this one the most of the three. An absolute pleasure to see Mace again. Is what I what I said clear at all about how it's interesting that Dooku is the one who's like recognizing possible corruption and ultimately he becomes that corrupt too yep absolutely i think this is a, a an interesting episode because not a ton happens it's all stuff you kind of expect to go the way it does yeah. but it's a bit of a reminder that dooku's not wrong about everything right he just goes about it all the wrong ways and it's a disappointment because mace like, and it's that really great line from Dooku. It's, um, I forget exactly what it is, but your uh, adherence to the rules is both admirable and infuriating or yeah, something yeah, yeah. Quite, a, quite close to that. And that's really comes down to it. It's the same problem that Anakin has. And it is a problem that Mace has and that all the Jedi have. And so it is more of a reflection, I guess, on the fact that Dooku's both right, but goes about it wrong. This one wasn't one of my favorites because I just felt like it was, um, and someone described this entire series, like these are almost like poems of Star Wars. 
And I think that's a really nice and, and accurate way to describe this series. <laughs> However, I felt like this was a very short poem and, and I didn't necessarily, uh, I don't know if there's a ton of depth I, I mine from it. It's a bit of a reminder, like, yeah, Mace Windu was an asshole. And that's a little bit of like, okay, stop beating us over the head with that. Uh, there'd be nice if there was maybe a few more layers to that. It does, like, Mace doesn't do anything wrong in this episode, but you still don't cheer for him either. Right. Uh, you almost agree with Dooku. Um, which I guess is done in a way to make the next episode slap you in the face a little bit more. Uh, and to also remind you that Anakin was doing all the right things up until he wasn't. And even like in the, in the next episode, even if you've crossed the line, sometimes you're not too far past it to be brought back. Um, but I guess it's more so just adding to the slippery slope of Dooku's journey, an area that we very, very, um, much got underserved in the uh, prequel trilogy. Yeah. It's something as Dooku as a character is not that interesting from just the movies. He's a far more interesting character when you've watched, when you watch Attack of the Clones, that scene with Obi-Wan a hundred times over, and then watch a few episodes of Clone Wars or just in interpret other materials. And then Dooku starts to become enriched. And I think to be honest, these three episodes uh, focused on him uh, are the most enriching uh, oh, yeah. bits of Dooku we've ever seen. And 100%. so that's been wonderful. This one was probably my, I'd say it'd be maybe my fifth of the sixth in, in rankings, um, but I still really liked it. And if I'm doing tiers, uh, my I have like my favorite one, the next four, and then like the bottom one, but I still like them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, and I don't know if this is how we're supposed to interpret it, um, but in contrast with this last Dooku episode, I almost wonder if he's like having to spend time now with Mace Windu instead of his own Padawan who has already been upgraded to Jedi Master because somebody kind of needs to like babysit Dooku. Like after what happened in the previous one we talked about, like he's going to get a reputation. Like that senator didn't get killed, right? Like that senator, or maybe he did, I don't remember. But like he, um, people are going to talk about how Dooku's a loose cannon uh, all the time. He's like, he's um he's flying off the handle and so like maybe we need to pair him up with somebody who's like really rule abiding so that we know nothing crazy goes uh goes off does that make sense it does it's interesting because it, it contradicts some things in attack of the clones but i don't know if it necessarily means it universally does because there are like kayati mundi says like Count Duke is a political idealist, not a murderer. Right. And like in general, they kind of blow like blow it off. Like this is not Dooku. But then again, it doesn't mean that just because he's a political idealist, maybe that was the kind of thing that they were seeing. And it was he was always a bit of a nuisance in that regard. Or maybe there was maybe it was just Mace who felt like he needed to keep him on a bit of a leash, the same way that he kept Anakin on a leash. Yes. And that's that's enough there to just consistently show. Well, here's a system that's destined to fail, uh, and uh, like Star Wars loves to do, it's poetry; it repeats itself. Right. And this is just the first verse of that. So, uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. I never really thought of it that way. Okay. Any other thoughts about this one? It wasn't your favorite. I actually did like it because it looked good, but maybe it's not a super rich text. Yeah. No, I, I thought it, I thought it was I thought it was really really great. It's just I don't necessarily have as much to take away from it as, as maybe the, the the second one. Okay. Let's do number four. Is this format working for you? It's great. All right, next up. Well, 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 it turns out to be a Dooku trilogy. Episode four is called The Sith Lord. 
which is kind of a classic Star Wars instance of who exactly is the titular character here. It's called the Sith Lord. It opens on all these discussions around Qui-Gon's encounter with a mysterious warrior in the Tatooine desert, whether or not the Jedi Council is comfortable classifying that mysterious person as a Sith Lord. Of course, later on we meet up with Palpatine or, or Darth Sidious, who is like the ultimate Sith Lord, but this episode is of course the final transition of Dooku into becoming uh, one with the dark side himself. He kind of takes on the mantle of Palpatine's apprentice. Perhaps most notably, Yaddle proves to be a total baddie. Wow. So she has this incredibly affectionate and understanding relationship to Dooku. She can see that he's frustrated. She goes to him after Qui-Gon has been struck down and she can see that he's distraught. And that's important, I think, that Dooku is still engaging with like humane and mostly good emotions around his paternal relationship to Qui-Gon. Yaddle is um, suspicious of where Dooku's heart might be, and so she follows him to this clandestine meeting he has with Palpatine in a hangar, where Palpatine's pretty frank about like the way things have to be in order to achieve balance, and then she reveals herself, they have a standoff. He appears to defeat Yaddle by crushing her brutally underneath a hydraulic door, but she, again, like a total badass, lifts it with the force. And I wondered if, if Yaddle was going to survive this because, first of all, I don't know, and you can tell me, Ross, if this was like her canonical death previous to this episode. It struck me that Palpatine had kind of blown his cover to Yaddle in this case. Yes, he was wearing a hood, but you could see his eyes and his voice is pretty recognizable. And so I kind of figured she wasn't going to make it out when she appeared to survive the door crushing. I was pretty surprised. But then ultimately she hobbles out and Dooku kind of finishes her off. He bows to Palpatine in what is sort of the conclusion of his arc leading up to where we first meet him in Attack of the Clones. Every single one of these episodes has been better than the previous one. This one in particular, total blast. Yeah, this one, easily my favorite episode. Oh, it was Yaddle, awesome. Yaddle, where you been, girl? That was unreal. Oh. Yes, uh, not uh, her canonical death in Legends. Okay. Um, and there was no uh, death identified <laughs> until this point. It's uh, something that I'm not surprised uh, was given some significance this go around now that that species deserves to be recognized. Although Yaddle and Legends had a pretty badass death. I can't remember the specifics, but it was galaxy impacting um, in the way she made sacrifices. I forget what it was, whether it was she saved like a crap ton of Jedi or a planet or, or something. She did some serious, she went out epically in Legends as well. Yeah. But this is uh, certainly more important to the the saga films and the way it intertwines with that. This entire episode was so interesting in the way it swerves within the prequels. Uh, it takes place at the same time as the end of The Phantom Menace. But we see the events of basically everything from Attack of the Clones uh, implemented like the the seeds of that plan started right here. You see Dooku going through and deleting Kamino from the archives oh, yeah. using Sifo-Dyas's codes. You see them meeting at the works, which they meet at at the end of Attack of the Clones as well, showing that Palpatine has been hiding in plain sight downtown Coruscant for over a decade. And Yaddle, uh, had she exposed that, 
like that would have been terrible obviously for him and so the fact that by killing her right then and there he's still able to keep it a secret for over like 13 more years yeah. before he becomes the emperor it just goes to show like jesus jedi how are you not able to see some of this stuff the man goes there frequently for these clandestine like underhood meetings yeah and nobody thought to follow him at any point or check his calendar to see where he was when they tried <laughs> to set up like a doodle meeting right his executive but, assistant could probably have been of service to you <laughs> absolutely just it's like you know charm him and uh and try and find out where old palpy is but this episode was really cool top to bottom having dooku shown compassion from yaddle uh, and a true understanding of why Dooku was so hurt about the Qui-Gon situation. And then to have Dooku confront Palpatine about like, dude, you didn't have to get mauled to kill Qui-Gon. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Uh, so to show that Palpatine was giving him everything he didn't want, mm -hmm. and Yaddle was given, giving him every out and opportunity, but Dooku had fallen so far down his path of um, feeling like the Jedi were ripping him off that he needed to to commit fully and kill someone who was looking out for him just so that he could become evil enough to be palpatine's uh bitch for the next couple of years and so it was a phenomenal episode i love the way it it weaves in with the phantom menace more than anything uh to see like talk about qui-gon being from coruscant something that's never been mentioned before in i think even a story other than just in reference books and how he liked nature and the fact that that this force tree like this uneti tree mm -hmm. which is the same type of tree that is on octo that luke has the library and there's an that's an uneti tree uh and that qui-gon loved the one on coruscant because it connected him with nature which makes sense for qui-gon and it never made sense that he was from coruscant because he felt like someone who was so in touch with nature that's but i just think overall it was just it was a 10 out of 10 episode for me. It's a really important episode too. And also with how it relates to Attack of the Clones, like the deleting of the archives, like that directly refers to an important moment in Attack of the Clones that doesn't really pay off. It doesn't really make sense in the movie. And so uh, like the the librarian, whatever her name is, she comes back again. And um, and so that was really cool. And then it, it's so interesting when, when he calls, when Dooku calls Sidious on why'd you have to go and have my apprentice killed? Sidious says, we both lost apprentices. And then like suddenly I'm reminded for the first time in a while that Darth Maul was his apprentice, but like not in any kind of like um, familial warm sense. He was just a tool, which Dooku is just about to become. And he's, you know, he's too angry to see that, which is like classic Star Wars dark side work. And um, I also thought it was really elegant for them to answer the, not answer it, but like refer to the Yoda Grogu Yaddle species thing. Just like, hey, I know we've got this like third person of this species who we've never given you anything about. Here's just a little bit so you know how she talks and so you know that she was cool. We're never going to talk about her again, but this is this is Yaddle <laughs> and look forward to more info in Mando season three. Yeah, well, it, interestingly, Yaddle, not, well, not as old as Yoda, I think is still 600. Wow, okay. So... If we're going back in time, some High Republic era, there's not that many Jedi that can be around, but Yaddle would still fall in that category. Like Oppo Rancisis, Yarl Poof, uh, Yoda, and Yaddle. I think those are the four like old Jedi that would still be alive for sure and of prominence during like the High Republic era, a hundred years before, uh, which will be the Acolytes timeline. Mm -hmm. So like those would be the only Jedi who could be relevant there. But Yaddle could show up then, and it would be cool to see maybe a slightly well not a slightly a much better looking um 
on-screen live-action Yaddle. Mm -hmm. That would be cool yeah. uh, because it's terrifying in The Phantom Menace, truly terrifying. Uh, and actually was an original design for Yoda, thinking that Yoda could have like long hair like the way the other Jedis were. But then they realized, wait a minute, if Yoda is supposed to be 900, 30 years earlier, he's not going to have brown it's hair. Not changing so his that, style. that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's so true. Uh, and it's definitely a character they wouldn't have made if like they thought about it further right. uh, in realizing that this is the second of that species. We're keeping it a secret. Uh, it could be a bit of foreshadowing that Grogu could show up in the Bad Batch. Uh, that's been uh, a long held potential. Uh, there is Mount Tantus that is revealed at the end of the Bad Batch, which is in Legends. Uh, Palpatine's giant basically clone mountain where he did experiments and, and whatnot and we're seeing kind of links between the Mandalorian and, and cloning and the needs of Grogu and what he would want it just seems like it could kind of fit in right there so for Dave Filoni to kind of try and be fleshing out that species and all of its origins makes a lot of sense and I think this was a was a, a very worthy uh, uh, story for Yaddle to, to have. It's also meaningful that Wherever Yoda comes from, wherever Yaddle comes from, it's probably not the same place because they don't both have that strange manner of speaking. So this is something that is not canon, but this is something that is the way Frank Oz interpreted it from conversations with George <laughs> Lucas and how he uh, believed and the reason as to why he believed Yoda spoke that way. So to me, it is 100% my head canon and will be until it's proven wrong and shouldn't be proven wrong. So he believed that he spoke in a weird way as an honor to his master. So Yoda's master wow. spoke that way wow. and that Yoda would have been raised likely by his master. And thus it's not necessarily Yoda's species. It's whatever Yoda's master's species was that spoke like Almost that. like it's his religion more so than his nature. Yeah, exactly. It's almost, it, and it's also the fact that he's so bloody old that in a certain way you can kind of assume that it's semi Shakespearean. Sure. Yeah. Now that will be completely retconned when they do like Old Republic the same way that they ever did Old Republic and nobody else speaks like right, that. Right. Uh, but I think that maybe also was a little bit of a part of it in 1980. Uh, but in, in terms of the way Frank Oz views it, and that's how he interpreted it. So that's how I interpret it. Okay. On to episode five. Okay, episode five is called Practice Makes Perfect. We return to the Ahsoka storyline, and essentially this is just an episode of The Clone Wars because it also features a fair amount of Anakin as her young master, and Obi-Wan's in it briefly. This is kind of like a bottle episode. The whole thing seems to take place in a sort of intense training module for Ahsoka where she has to defend herself against increasingly large troops of clone troopers who are taking fire at her. Not to harm her, but to stun her. And she's struggling to defend herself against them. And her defense is that she's never going to meet an army of enemies that are as dangerous as Rex's troops. Of course, we know that that's in fact not the case. But even still, Anakin, her master, conveys to her that that's not the point. Practice makes perfect. You have to be not just good enough, but better than good enough, which is generically a good lesson to teach, although I find it interesting that Anakin's the one conveying it because so much of his own persona, especially in this part in the timeline, is frankly resting on laurels and talents and wanting to go in guns a-blazing. And, and so 
It's interesting that he's able to convey that lesson to his Padawan without fully understanding it himself. We're back to uh, the Ahsoka portion of the series. It seems like overall this show is two trilogies detailing characters who might not be fully fleshed out for all Star Wars viewers, and I like that. I think so far I've enjoyed the Dooku storylines more than Ahsoka, but this was really cool. I don't know if there's like a common uh, tradition of that uh, in the Anakin Ahsoka dynamic of him teaching her lessons such as in this case patience that he could stand to listen to himself. Yes, there is absolutely that in terms of him regurgitating <laughs> Obi-Wan's words of wisdom uh, that he doesn't necessarily follow himself. That is absolutely true. He does not practice what he preaches mm -hmm. in the slightest there. Uh, the other the other side that you kind of mentioned uh, that I, I guess I, I didn't wait for the full interpretation of what you were referring to um, was kind of around that the, the practice makes perfect. And he, I wouldn't say he rests on his laurels because I'm drawn to the, the lines of I'm not the Jedi I should be. Mm, okay. I want more. And at this point, he just expects so much of himself and that he's he's infuriating with, with himself in Revenge of the Sith that he can't just save Padme on his own right He because he believes he's so powerful. But in that same vein, he's also trained that much. So despite being the best, he's also Kobe Bryant because he's going and, and Michael Jordan, because not only is he the best, he's going to double down and make sure that he works twice as hard as you. Yeah. So that you just look stupid. And he wants Ahsoka to do the same thing. And in doing so, he inadvertently trains her to save herself from him yeah, and everything true. that he turns into. And I think that that's really important. And even having uh, like Jesse, Jesse is one of the, the clone troopers who he, he leads basically the charge against Ahsoka during Order 66. And uh, they flash in particular, like they focus on his grave when Ahsoka buries all of her clone troopers that tried to kill her yeah. uh, in the, the end of the Clone Wars. He's also the first trooper her shirts are during the drill. And so this is kind of showing a, a clean continuance of just like in practice, the one that they said, like, this will never happen. Well, the guy who just shot you in that first drill is going to try to kill you in a few years. Mm. And he's going to try and get thousands of his troopers to kill you. And we get to see that. And we show how Ahsoka does all these ridiculous things that shouldn't be possible. Like some of the most incredible acrobatic Jedi moves in that final arc that really goes to show man she learned a lot from anakin yeah. look how the padawan of the greatest ever was able to become pretty much one of the greatest ever herself just because she was a good student mm -hmm. she was a student of the game and somebody who understood it at a different level this is not a lifetime academic teaching you how to perform in an industry this is somebody who succeeded in an industry telling you how to succeed in an industry. This is uh, a, a, an artist who has made a, a, a living in an industry versus a, someone who has kind of critiqued something. And like it shows that kind of distinction, whereas Anakin, once again, was so close to doing everything right, yeah. but makes the wrong decision at the wrong time. And Ahsoka never has that problem. And that goes to the kind of the next episode where they finish up her total arc. But I really liked how this episode was just a little sliver. And because it was so small, 
you shouldn't get as much as, as we did. And that's why I was so impressed with how much punch was packed in this short amount and that you're repeating the same scene over, but you're seeing the impact of Anakin's training and how it has in Ahsoka. It really deepens that relationship more. And then you get the fun little Easter eggs of like having uh, some background characters that are like, uh, who are watching her training that are like Kanan and Terrace Nube. Uh, Terrace Nube was one of the Jedi who's got a, a small Clone Wars arc. And he's also uh, the first Jedi focused on that's cast in Amber when Obi-Wan goes to Fortress Inquisitorius. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he finds all the Jedi down there. So that's a, a nice little connection. And Caleb Doom, uh, who is Kanan Jarrus, the main character in Rebels, him as a kid is watching. And so it's just, it's a really nice kind of uh, amalgamation of all these things. And then they also are redoing Anakin in the style of the original Clone Wars. They give Obi-Wan the long hair. And yeah. so people are like controversial. Like, did Obi-Wan try like cut his hair and then try and go <laughs> grow it back again and realize now nah, I'm getting too old for this and then cut it again. Some people are kind of joking around a little bit about the continuity of Obi-Wan's hair or whether or not, should we mentally just picture him with long hair in the first few episodes of the Clone Wars before like Ahsoka becomes Anakin's Padawan sort of thing. And so that kind of stuff is fun. And just overall, it was a, a nice slice of Clone Wars, uh, but did feel appropriate to be done in Tales of the Jedi. So I, I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, for me, it's the only one that doesn't uh, improve upon the one previous to it. And so maybe I'm just a harsh critic. Uh, and really, my only problem is just that it is kind of small in a bottle episode. But you're right, it is rich and interesting. And speaking of Obi-Wan, it also it, it reminds me of Obi-Wan Kenobi, the series, and in particular, that uh, flashback training episode because you know here's one of those same characters in uh uh in the master role and and so that's that's kind of cool too we haven't seen a ton of that in star wars and so it's it's neat whenever they actually show us however brief and certainly in like main timeline timeline star wars movies the training sequences are just like somebody's wearing a backpack for five seconds and it's like really brief and so it's cool when we see how it was done in the old days I, I think that's awesome. I really, I, next time I watch this episode, I'm going to watch the the flashback sequence from that episode of Obi-Wan beforehand. Cause I, I, I never really thought about how, how well those two stack up next to each other. That'd be really interesting to see uh, Anakin as the, the master in one and the apprentice in the other. Well, and that's what I meant. And I should have used the word patience, but that's what I meant when I first reacted to it in, in that like Anakin doesn't really seem to be <laughs> and they're roughly taking place around the same time, or I guess not quite, but like um, he doesn't really seem pretty close. He seems to know what he needs to do. He certainly seems to know what Ahsoka needs to do, but he can't really put it into practice when he is himself uh, in defense and trying to prove something. But that's true of a lot of young Jedi. They just they want to be their best selves and they don't want to go through the the arduous steps. Yes, and that's very much Ahsoka. Ahsoka is is quite the hothead at the start, and she's trained by a hothead, yet is able to cool down uh, the same way, but not the way Anakin, he wasn't able to. <laughs> right, right. Okay, ready for the last one? Sure. Here we go. And episode six is called Resolve. My favorite of the three Ahsoka episodes takes place later on, just after the dust is settling on the Clone Wars. We open on the funeral of Padme Amidala, when all Jedi are either eliminated or forced into hiding, including Ahsoka Tano, who was present, and they've sort of retroactively established, and maybe this was already uh, written somewhere, that she, in fact, had a direct relationship to Padme. 
She has a quick meeting with Bail Organa, who kind of sends her off. Then we pick up, sort of, in a reflection of where this series began, Ahsoka in a kind of remote village. Except here, she's just working as a sort of farmhand. There's an accident, she's forced into a moment of heroism, and this kind of exposes her to some of the villagers as Force-sensitive, or maybe even a Jedi Master. She has a friend, but then also there's kind of a young buck who is very pro-Empire. It's funny, we see a sort of don't-talk-about-politics-at-Thanksgiving kind of dynamic, and it happens generationally, although the script is kind of flipped, because at least the cliche in our world is that younger generations are more progressive, but in this case, it's the older people who long for the safer, more peaceful status of the galaxy under the Republic, and then there's this teenager who's very pro-Empire. He is a snitch, rats out Ahsoka, and then we see the appearance of this, I mean, he's an Inquisitor because his lightsaber is that of an Inquisitor. I don't know if he specifically is a recognizable figure. He burns down the village, Ahsoka again has to play the hero and reveal herself. She immediately disarms the Inquisitor and beheads him, and then the teenager who sold her out kind of realizes the error of his ways, and then Bail Organa appears again. That's the entire Tales of the Jedi series. I thought it was really good. Definitely the best animated Star Wars I have ever seen, and I really, really enjoy this average 14-minute format. And it brings oh, wow. me so much joy to, to sing Star Wars praises again, because I feel like I've been complaining a lot as we've talked about Andor. Oh, no, that's great. I'm really happy you liked it so much. Uh, I, I think personally, uh, there's a few Clone Wars arcs and the, the final arc in particular, uh, and probably like the Mortis arc, those would be my favorite bits of of animation. But uh, I absolutely love Tales of the Jedi. And I'm really happy you loved it so much, too. Uh, this arc is a really interesting one. Be oh, sorry, not this arc, this episode. This is the biggest canon contradiction oh. slash... Uh, multi-interpretation we've ever had yet and uh, people are throwing the word retcon around left right and center because they don't use it correctly mm -hmm. ever uh, but this is not that it's a contradiction slash uh, different interpretation so Dave Filoni when uh, Clone Wars is canceled when Disney purchases uh, Star Wars mm -hmm. Clone Wars is canceled Rebel starts up Dave Filoni's in charge of Rebels still. Um, he's going to find a way to insert Ahsoka in there, but he's not going to be able to tell all of Ahsoka's story. He's not going to be able to tell Ahsoka at the end of Clone Wars the way he initially thought he was going to. So he, he has his notes for the end of Ahsoka's story at the Clone Wars, and he gives them to an author, E.K. Johnston, who wrote a book called Ahsoka. And it was uh, the audiobook was narrated by Ashley Eckstein, the voice of Ahsoka in uh, the animated shows. And so it's a really great uh sensory experience uh, mm -hmm. to be able to listen to that audiobook because it just brings you in so directly with a familiar voice and the story notes of Dave Filoni. But there's a lot of interpretation taken from that because the notes are pretty damn brief. But Dave Filoni took his very brief notes and wrote his own entirely different story and said, thanks, novel, and threw it out the window. Oh, no. And uh, the author of the novel was fine about it. Uh, but not everybody has been has been thrilled with it. And I think it's a mistake in Star Wars's part because it wasn't necessary. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, it also aligns with all of the major beats of this story. The problem comes with 
there are some changes made that are confusing. Uh, there are some I, some omissions, and it's also it's not as good as the book. And so it's almost like, why was this the story you had to tell? Right. Um, and then it also creates some questions. So <laughs> there's characters who are uh, explicitly um, a darker skin toned uh, and a darker race in in the novel who uh, are lightened in this book. So the oh. friend, like the friend that she has, who is a, a dark skinned uh, queer character is not named, not uh, whitewashed. And none of the, the attraction she has to Ahsoka is shown in the show. So oh. that's kind of the thing. She's a character who's Ahsoka's friend, but has a, a pretty clear crush on Ahsoka. Ahsoka's kind of confused by that because she doesn't have any understanding of emotions. And it's just like, it's somebody who's willing to listen to her. She's the character that she saves instead of being from a, a big like hay pile or something it's from a giant pile of like mechanical parts mm. and so it's like they make a couple like just weird yeah, changes why was it like, hey i don't i, did wonder, I don't like, get it hey it does not look threatening i don't care how tall the the bales are like it's such a good point it seemed kind of silly oh that's kind of a bummer because that's a real weenie decision yeah it just it doesn't seem necessary <laughs> whereas if you're going to hit all those major beats at least do some confirmation for the people that really like that book or found some ways to identify with those characters to be able to still see, okay, that's still the character. Uh, you don't even need, you wouldn't even have needed to name the character in the show. Just name it in the credits and the subtitles. You don't need to change your story. Just don't go out of your way to change it to make someone, well, not make someone feel excluded, but if you had any thought at all, you'd realize you were making someone feel excluded probably. Mm -hmm. And so it just didn't seem like the best decision there. Uh, the Inquisitor side of things, the way that she kills the Inquisitor, that's also done differently. The way that she joins Bail Organa is a little different. Uh, and her job is one thing that I found really interesting because this is one that's changed and it has a really good meaning on both sides. So she's a farmer here, which makes sense because we see her farming culture where she's born on Shili. And so it goes to show you can't be what you're not is the whole theme of the episode. Whereas okay. she can't not be a Jedi even though she's going back to the ways of her, even her people, people that she can't even remember, the family, they were farmers. She, in theory, was raised, she should be a farmer at heart. Mm. But no, she is a Jedi at heart. And so I like that change. She was a mechanic as her hidden occupation in the book, which is also pretty damn good because if you are Anakin Skywalker's apprentice, you're you sure as shit know how to fix things. Good with gears, for and sure. And he makes it very important for you to be able to fix R2 and fix this. And Anakin, like that was a really that cool thing to have yeah. passed on. So I like both of them, although I do kind of prefer the mechanics side. Me too. Uh, so there's some of those things that didn't make a ton of sense. I will say, though, the design for the Inquisitor is incredible. That's why I uh, wondered if maybe he was like a, a, a real character that you knew because it just seemed like a... Like what a what a design to waste on just a guy who's going to get decapitated so easily, and that's the thing because the way the death happens is different. We don't even know if it's the exact same Inquisitor. Is mm. this the sixth brother or is this some other Inquisitor? So there's also a question mark there uh, because the Inquisitors are numbered. We now are like kind of keeping a tally as to who's who. Mm. And this uh, okay, sixth brother, he's still a damn question mark, but we think he looks like Ravenface. And so like it, it's just it seemed a, a weird because it, it's it's like this hazy, foggy poem about a book, and it's almost legends existing in canon. And while Visions did that, 
Visions did that in such a pointed effort of we are not even remotely trying to be canon. Whereas this is like saying like, we're going to put canon in a blender and you're just going to drink it. Right. Uh, Whereas the Bail Organa parts were awesome. I love the conversation that he had with the like the storm with the troopers and uh, like Ahsoka's hidden above and he's clearly talking to her, mm. but like passing it off. Having Ahsoka show up in hiding at Padme's funeral. I loved that. Yeah, me too. Uh, they did have a really good relationship. Uh, it was very like Padme really took Ahsoka under her wing and provided a lot of the compassion when Anakin was sometimes lacking it or if even Obi-Wan was sometimes lacking it, or the entire Jedi Order. But because Anakin cared so much about Ahsoka, Padme did too as well. And they developed a really nice relationship, and they have a few small arcs in the Clone Wars. And so I was really, I thought that was a really nice payoff that had never been established before, that she went out of her way to make it to that funeral. Uh, And I thought that that was really cool. And they showed Mon Mothma there with Bail Organa, uh, and all that links up in the the same way that she um, saves her friends, and defeats an Inquisitor and saves a village and Bail Organa, um, she says, fine, I'll reach out. And then she joins the rebellion when she brings those people to safety. That end little snippet there, that's the same ending in the book as well. Good. And so it allows you to kind of interpret in that same way and still gets Ahsoka back on her path to joining the rebellion, which is the story that Dave Filoni wanted to tell. He just wanted to just tell it in a shortened way. Uh, it was a little bit fumbled in its consistency of execution, but it doesn't mean that the episode isn't still extremely enjoyable uh, and uh, was a was a, a cool, cool 15 minutes to watch and uh, was was good and fit the story of the part, the beats you wanted to hit in Ahsoka's life. I love the 15 minute format for this show. Mm. Like, I think that's a really great way to tell a story. And like I said, I prefer the, the, the Dooku arc, but overall really pleased with this. It was a good way to spend an hour and 20 minutes or whatever it added up to. Yeah, no, I I really enjoyed it. I'm really glad you enjoyed it too. This is something a lot of people are talking about and uh, just really curious to know your thoughts. What would you want to see for a season two? Uh, would you, or would you prefer hmm. next to see uh, tales of the blank tales of the Sith tales, of the bounty hunter tales of the um, something else. Or would you prefer to see Tales of the Jedi again? And which two Jedi would you like to see? Um, definitely not Tales of the Bounty Hunter. Uh, and so, and, and it really, I can't think of anybody outside. You can tell Sith stories within the Jedi milieu. Um, no, do a season two of Tales of the Jedi and um, make the Jedi uh, Mace Windu. Definitely Mace Windu. Um, and... I mean, Anyone interesting to pair with Mace that would have a kind of like similar themes the way Ahsoka and Dooku do? Well, he, he has similar themes to both of them just in terms of his anger. Um, yeah. He, 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 you know, s- sticks to the line. That's the difference. Um, so I don't know. Um, Quinlan Voss could be an interesting one to yeah, pair with I don't, him. I don't know really That's anything about him. The strictest rule follower the least rule follower Jack. Okay, yeah. But both ones who have anger problems, uh, one who has anger problems that never falls uh, from the dark side. Uh, Quinlan Voss does fall to the dark side during the Clone Wars mm. as well. Uh, he comes back. It's, a, it's kind of like a brief stint where he gets like traded and then they trade him back sort of. Uh, he, he tries to go undercover to assassinate Dooku mm. and falls to the dark side. He just he goes too far. But he's, he's brought back and we know that in the end it becomes part of the path to helping Jedi uh, survive Order 66 and whatnot. So he could be a really interesting one to pair with Mace. Well, here's somebody you wouldn't have thought of. It's going to be a long time before there's an episode 10. A long, long, long time. 
And I'm not saying this needs to happen now, but a Tales of the Jedi about Mace Windu and also Finn. And the secret he never got to tell Rey, or maybe he did eventually, and like what happens in the immediate aftermath of Rise of the Skywalker, Rise of Skywalker, because we know he's force sensitive. That's been confirmed for us, but we didn't actually get to see that put into any kind of uh, practice. And so, obviously, I need to see more about that. And he, you know, he's destined to be a Jedi too. Clearly, I I really like that. I think Finn would be would be certainly one of my choices. And Mace is Mace is an interesting one to pair him with. I like that. Um, Finn, it would be cool to do maybe one story showing a little hint of force sensitivity, maybe while he's a young stormtrooper in totally. training. Yeah. Uh, maybe throw something between eight and nine and then stick something after nine. Yeah. Uh, when he like really like is starting to to take up the blade and do some something along those lines. I, I think that would be really cool. Uh, I like that a lot. Uh, I think I, I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility either mm. uh, at all. Uh, in terms of, I think what I'd like to see, I've heard some people say uh, Leia and Ben Solo, and that seems like a pretty slam dunk I awesome mean, idea sure. to me. Yeah, I would rather, yeah, yeah, actually, and animation is the place to do that because you can't, you're not going to get Adam Driver back, you're not going to get Carrie Fisher back. And so that could be mm. really, really nice. Yeah. And, and with that, you also get Luke and you can do Mark Hamill uh, in that way. <laughs> That's something I've, always wanted is animated uh mark hamill in that era um so there's lots i've heard also tar Vizla thrown around as an option he's the first mandalorian jedi so oh. that would be a really interesting story and way to bring generations of storytelling but also tie it to something that's so prominent in star wars right now yeah so that could be cool i agree i want tales of the jedi again and uh you can pretty much give me damn near anyone i don't want to see obi-wan because yep. we've seen so much of obi-wan it's been done I don't want to see, well, definitely don't give us Anakin. That's the Skywalker saga. Um, we could get Luke just because we haven't seen a ton of him being a Jedi master. And I yep. wouldn't be against that. In we never, middle. we haven't very minimal animation of him. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's, it's really open there. And, and I would love to, uh, I'd, I'd take a Yoda any day of the week. Give me a Yoda and Grogu. That would be cool. Be uh, maybe wait a couple seasons until yeah. Mando is over. Um, but yeah, there's, there's so many things. And I think this is a series that they should never end. Great. I don't think they should ever end this. They can do it every two years if they want, but I don't think they should ever end this. There's never going to be an end of Jedi characters, so there's no reason that you can't keep this running. Yeah. Smoke them if you got them. Just keep them, keep them coming. All right. We got exactly. uh, some Star Wars news to discuss, and I'm losing yes. steam. <laughs> That's fair. I will transition right into the potential of somebody who could be brought back for maybe Tales of the Jedi season two mm -mm. or another thing that potentially Damon Lindelof's movie. And that would be Daisy Ridley. Oh. Uh, she uh, put on Instagram, I believe it was, that she was uh, stopping by Lucasfilm headquarters for some lunch. And uh, <laughs> that, of course, spurs people's interest. Now, when you think about it, she's British. And if she's in L.A., and she's not that old and spent, I don't know, what was it, six years filming these movies? Most of the people she knows in LA are related to Lucasfilm or associated right. with them in that it's way. She's not done that many films. Yeah. She's going to have friends there. Yeah. It's not a, it's not outrageous. Um, and also, her career hasn't taken off like to the same extent that maybe uh, Oscar Isaacs did amidst the filming of those in the way Jean Boyega is taking a very kind of a tour approach. Um, and also she was the bloody star mm -hmm. and it's star Wars. It's awesome. So if she's, I don't see any reason why she wouldn't want to come back. And 
Damon Lindelof has indicated it's been indicated that it's going to be a post Rise of Skywalker film. And so I would love it if Ray's heavily involved. Make Ray the main bloody character. Totally. Yeah. Just you have to do it in a, in a, a key way to not make it a Skywalker weird that story. Someone like, yeah, but also make it so it's not weird that like <laughs> Finn's not there either or yeah. like Poe's not there. But having somebody who's so central and kind of restarting the the force that like she's going to go on weird little journeys you can get bb8 back that's not going to be a problem do it you can get chewbacca back and have it so that the two of them hang out a lot like there's ways in making it work let's get a chewy and ray story before we get another chewy and han story uh where han's not being played by harrison ford yeah so like I, I think that could be really cool just in general to bring her back and despite people not liking uh the sequel trilogy a lot of people and despite people like ragging on ray calling her mary sue which i think is stupid and all that crap i still think even those people would have the appetite for more ray stories because i think those people would want redemption and the people who like ray like us would just want to see more ray yeah so totally. i i really don't think they would have the pushback the way some people think that they might so i think that's only good news and very very exciting yeah yeah great point it's kind of like uh welcoming back hayden christensen uh, not not the same. It's not the same because nobody's going to tell you that Daisy Ridley is a poor actor the way they said about Hayden Christensen for years. But you're right. Star Wars fans, <laughs> though they don't appear this way all the time, I think they want to like Star Wars. Yes. They want to like sometimes. the next Star Wars. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> or they say they do. Right. right. Um, but I will have to say Andor was a really nice instance of people finally liking Star Wars again, even if not everybody universally liked it. You weren't a huge fan of it. And yeah. a lot of people who like, but it was nice to hear some people say, oh, it's the first Star Wars I've liked in a long time. While I hope you that those people aren't people who bitched and moaned the entire way in between, it is still nice to hear any positivity about a new Star Wars thing. So totally. that's always good. Totally. Uh, Favreau he, was involved in the writing of every episode in Mando season three. Great, uh, yeah. So, and he talks about the scope and scale being uh, big mm -hmm. and that there's going to be surprises and that they know that they're following up on the reveal of Grogu in episode one and the reveal of Luke Skywalker in episode 16. Like they have big shoes to fill and Favreau is prepared and uh, excited to share what he's got. So that's, that sounds pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Love the sound of it. Uh, Bad Batch season two, uh, that's gearing. And that's, this is going to be March, uh, March 1st, I think is when um, Mando is, Mando season three is coming in. I saw that yesterday. Yeah, that's not a long wait at all. No, and Bad Batch <laughs> is starting in the first week of January. Uh, they had a trailer for that today. That's very exciting. I think that looks really good. The animation is outrageously beautiful in that show. Mm. I, I just can't get past it. And I, I'm really excited. I think that's just great saturday morning cartoon popcorn fun star wars uh, i really enjoy that and it's got some fun little snippets um that connect back to the bigger world uh and then the other thing is a bit of it, I, i'm a little i'm frustrated by this i don't know whether i'd say i'm a little stressed out or a little annoyed or just um i guess disappointed in the inevitable but I think I might need to buy a PlayStation 5 oh, no. to play the new Star Wars game. Yeah. Because I don't want to, but oh my God, it's going to be awesome. Sure. And they're not releasing it on the old generations. And I'm disappointed. Brutal. But either way, they're bringing in blasters to it. They are adding in 
tons of ways to make the character feel like you're living in the original trilogy. Uh, that game, was, Jedi Fallen Order, was awesome. And so Jedi Survivor seems to be shaping up to be a sequel that checks all those boxes. So very exciting for that. That's going to be released uh, in March or April as well. And so just going to be a huge Star Wars uh, storytelling season. Uh, and either way, uh, that's a good one to kind of YouTube. The, if you haven't, I would recommend watching the Jedi Fallen Order, even on YouTube, just to kind of get the storyline. It's a good Star Wars story. It okay. really, really is. And I mean, it's acted by Cameron Monhan, who is an excellent actor. And so uh, I could foresee him having a show at some point. Maybe they do a trilogy of games and then give him a small show like Obi-Wan or something cool. yeah. or a role in another show. So uh, I would uh, say keep your eye on that. Yeah, really nice. Sounds good. Is that it? That'll be it. Okay, time for us to wrap up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, completely run out of, oh, this cold. <laughs> Okay, let us know your thoughts on Tales of the Jedi. Uh, let us know which arc you preferred, which episodes you preferred. You can always email your uh, questions or ideas or comments or or your your praise of Star Wars in general. Um, Recorder66podcast at gmail.com or you can tweet at Recorder66. Uh, rate and review on your preferred podcast app. And if you're joining us on YouTube, be sure to like and subscribe. We have at least one more episode of the podcast uh, planned before Christmas, and we think we're going to watch the holiday special, which I've never seen, and many of us have not, but of course, we've all heard that it's something to behold. So that'll be fun. If you want to watch that in preemptive, the next podcast, you'll know what we're talking about and inevitably giggling about. Until we are together again, may the force be with you.